So last week, if, if he wasn't here, and some of you wasn't here, and we still got people going, I read you passages from Lamentations that absolutely shocked some of you, that Jeremiah would even say. I mean, I mean, here's this great prophet, and we read some things in Lamentations to you that he records that absolutely that even doubted that God even existed. Now, I didn't leave you there because I told you the next verse was, but he said, I remember that his, his mercies are new every morning. And somebody told me after church, all their life, they've only quoted that one scripture, but they forgot about the previous 15. Well, Jeremiah was in a bad way. He got into a bad frame of mind. So this morning, a guy I used to work for, he was from Kentucky, and nothing against Kentucky. Anybody here from Kentucky? I didn't mean it to be bad, but, but he was my boss in the oil field, but he, he always had words like Archie Campbell and Hee Haw. He got things mixed up. And he said, what happened, instead of saying a speech impediment, he would say a speech infection, what he would say. He had all kinds of little odd words to say. Well, I'm, I'm having trouble. As you well know, I've, I've, had, I've had tremendous dental work, and, and, and I'm, I'm losing some of them, but I got new ones on the way. We got 12 bolts in my mouth, and and I'm grinding them down. And so I go back to the guy, and he goes, how in the world can you grind these things down? I said, it's indicative of what's on the inside of me, what's on the outside. He said, my goodness. So I'm having trouble speaking, but before long, I'll get it right. Have you ever, and I know you wouldn't, but have you ever asked God <clears throat> why you're always having to go through stuff and my neighbor never has any challenges? Just leave that up for a moment, Brother Ron. I, 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 know you, I know you don't do this. I do it. That's why I'm, I'm just airing out my dirty laundry to you. But have you ever asked God why I always have to go through stuff, but my neighbor never has any challenges? All of his family members get along? Perfect. They all have great paying jobs. None of them has any health problems. They're slim and trim with perfect straight teeth. And to make matters worse, none of them attend church. Anybody here but me has asked this question? And I know you wouldn't say it out loud, but to be honest, you have told God somewhere driving down the road, I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's fair. Once again, like I told you last week, you're in good company. Because some of God's greatest men and women has gone through and said the very same things that we posted here this morning. So let's go back to Jeremiah. This is no intent this morning to give you a history lesson. That's not my intention on anything. Let's read Jeremiah chapter number 48, verse 11, please. Moab has been at ease from his youth. Now, this Moab is a country that sits on the very east side of the Dead Sea, and it is lush, and it's fertile, and it's 76 degrees year-round. Tremendous wheat, tremendous crops, tremendous vineyards of wine. Now, listen to his complaint. He's on the other side of the 
Dead Sea, and everything is not as good. Mo has been on his ease from youth. He has settled on his dregs, and he has not been emptied from vessel to vessel. This goes on to say, nor has he gone to captivity. Therefore, his taste remains in him, and his scent has not changed. Jeremiah is complaining about the guy across the river, Dead Sea. Jeremiah is saying, Moab is full of idolatry. It's full of pagan practices. They don't go to church. They don't honor you. They don't worship you. And I can see through my binoculars that they got music playing, the wheat's three feet, the vineyards is, is tremendous. They got wine vests. They was one of the greatest exports of wine in Moab. And he said, nothing ever bad happens to them. And so he says, God, I don't think it's fair. <clears throat> and he's going back to tag you basically what we said to begin with. They don't even attend church. I wrote in here, listen, he says this. What's happened is he said he's been at his ease since his youth. Nothing's ever gone wrong. He set on his dregs, which is leaves, which means the bitter pulps of the wine kegs. But he's never been emptied from vessel to vessel. If you have a Bible somewhere, you may want to underline this, and he has not been emptied from vessel to vessel because here's the key to why we go through things. Things don't happen to us. Things happen for us. Romans 8, 28 says, all things work together for good. Things don't happen to you. They happen for you. And I'm here to tell you this morning, sometimes we go through things because a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. So he has not been, he has not been poured from vessel to vessel. And being unchallenged means you remain unchanged. So he says about this, that not only has he not been poured from vessel to vessel, but he said his scent remains in him and his taste is the same. So, he has never been poured from vessel to vessel. So I'm going to ask you a question. You don't, you don't have to raise your hand. Have you ever been through anything? And by the time that you get through one thing and, and you catch your breath, God takes you to something else? Am I, am I speaking in English or Spanish here? Because if you never go through anything, I'd like to go home with you. I mean, I mean, by the time you get through one thing, something else happens. I mean, you get over one, one financial thing, now then you're going to the doctor, and not only you're going to the doctor, but you're dragging your kids to the doctor, and all these things are happening negative. And then you say, I don't understand, because the next-door neighbor, they're perfect, and they're good, and they're, and they're fruitful, and they got more money they can spend, and none of them goes to the doctor. And they don't even go to church. And the builder that has a business here, all they do is drink and have parties and all this stuff, and, 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 and they swear up and down on all their jobs, but yet they don't go to church, but they got more money they can spend. And here we are doing our very best to support the kingdom and honor God, and it seems like every time we turn around, something goes wrong. I know, I know you've never experienced that. That's why you're quiet. I know that. My life is constant something. Whether it's starting a song in the wrong key or my mind in 19 different directions, but 
but I'll trade you mines one Sunday morning if you'd like to. From being poured from one vessel to the other. And so this morning, I'm not going to here to give you a history lesson, but let me kind of tell you before we begin. Jeremiah lived in the very final days before God pronounced judgment upon Judah. God told him from the very beginning that I want you to go to Judah and I want you to tell them to repent. And he would be the very last prophet for the nation of Judah before God sent judgment. But it fell upon deaf ears. Now, the man before him named Isaiah, he gets up and speaks about eight words. And he says, today's the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time to hear the Lord in all of Syria repented, but not Jeremiah. Not him. And what happens is that if, if to save a history lesson, that we have 12 tribes and 10 of them now is in captivity by Assyria called the Northern Kingdom. And there's two remaining, Benjamin and Judah. And they're about to be destroyed by Babylon. And so now then, there's only two that's left that hasn't been completely taken over and it's Judah and it's Benjamin, and Jeremiah is speaking to both of them while he's in Judea, and he's telling them, God is commanding you to repent. And they didn't want it, they didn't accept it, and they didn't like it. So they didn't change. And so now then, we know that Jeremiah was called to be a prophet at somewhere around the age of 17. And he preached, we know for a fact, for 40 years, and he was referred to as the weeping prophet. Now, one of the reasons why he's referred to the weeping prophet is for this reason. God told him from the very beginning, I want you to preach repentance, but they'll never change. God told him straight up, they will not repent. It doesn't relieve you from the fact of doing your duty that they will not repent. As a matter of fact, they're going to treat you harshly. That's always encouraging. Brother Dan talked about it. It was funny. Brother Dan talked about they went somewhere. He, he was part of a Bible college somewhere, and they went out ministering. They had some young pup just jumping up and down. They kept his front foot in a collar, keeping from doing anything stupid, you know. That's why you used to do bird dogs. When they run off, you put their front foot in a collar. It doesn't matter. You don't understand. But anyway... But he said they got up there and they found this old boy on the street corner somewhere in the alley. So they just turned this old boy loose. And the first thing this old boy said was, are you washing the blood? And it just scared the fire of this old guy because he didn't know if it was going to be a bloody ritual of anything. They didn't know. But he told Jeremiah, said they won't listen. They will not repent. But it doesn't relieve you from the fact of preaching repentance because they've sinned against me, God. He's referred to as the weeping prophet for that reason. Now, I'm, I'm going to kind of put it in, in something you can understand. Um, it's like going to the dog kennel. Don't ever take your, your kids or your grandkids to the dog pound and say, but we are not going to bring a puppy home with us. <laughs> now, we're going to look, but <laughs> we are not. We're going to bring a puppy home with us. And, and as we put the fifth puppy into the back of this car as we go home. So 
The reason why he's referred to as a weeping prophet is kind of like this. You go to the dog pound and you happen to know the dog pound keeper. And he says at five o'clock, I'm going to euthanize every animal in this shelter. And it's 455. And you walk right down this center aisle of where all these animals are. And they're all on their hind feet. And they're all got their front feet on the chain link. And they all got that dumb dog look. And they got their tongue hanging out and they're jumping up and down and their tail is wagging. And you full well knowing when you ever make eye contact that in less than three minutes they're going to die. It does something to you. One of the hardest things I've ever had to do was shoot one of my dogs. Shot twice. I had Steve shoot one, I'd shoot the other. He shot the wrong one. He shot the neighbor's dog. But besides that, <laughs> I said, Steve, come over, shoot my dog. Well, he shot the neighbor's dog. But I'm glad you did because he barked all night. We solved that matter. Anybody here besides me had to euthanize an animal? Oh, it's no big deal. Just here, let me just back over him with a car. It's no big deal. Breaks your heart. Tears you up. And Jeremiah was like the man walking to the dog pound that knowing of all these animals that want to go home and want to be loved and want to be petted, they will die in less than three minutes. That's why he cried. He cried because while he watched these people carelessly and aimlessly Reject God. He said, little do you realize judgment is coming and it's killing me. Even as Jesus said on the Mount of Olivet, he said this. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have gathered thee as a hen would gather her chicks under her wings that you would not come. In full knowing that Titus would walk in and destroy Jerusalem and there would not be one brick left upon another. So the reason why we call him the weeping prophet because basically that he knew the outcome of what was facing these people in just a few days, a few weeks, and it happened. Nebuchadnezzar, the empire of Babylon, came in and destroyed everything. He had no human comfort. We're told in the Bible that all of his friends and even in the priesthood, as he burnt the city down, even in Anathoth, which was a Levitical city, they burned it all down, burned all the vineyards down, burned everything down while he was still alive. And matter of fact, it was so bad that God told him in Jeremiah 16, do not marry and do not bring any kids to this world because of the devastation that's coming. And matter of fact, don't turn there, but in He'll tell you in Jeremiah 15, he'll tell you the outcome of what's about to happen. And God said, do not marry and do not bring any kids into this world. What's about to be unleashed in Judea. Sounds pretty severe to me. So soon Jeremiah got discouraged 
like so many of us today get discouraged. The reason why is because we as Christians, we seem to get stuck when our efforts are not making a visible difference. We get stuck. Jeremiah got discouraged. Even though that he heard God clearly, but Jeremiah put on his pants, if they had pants back then, like you and I. God has called us to do a ministry. God has called us to a work. And here's the deal. This is why Paul tells in the book of Hebrews, don't be weary in well-doing. Why does he say that? Because we know that we get weary in well-doing. Sometimes we try to do our very best over and over and through the years to do good. And after a while, when we don't see any visible evidence of it, we get tired. And we say they're not changing. It's not doing any good. And Jeremiah got discouraged. He got discouraged the same way you and I get discouraged is that when we witness to people and we do things for people and we don't see any visible change. And that's where he's at. Matter of fact, he got to a place where he was so emotionally and spiritually and physically exhausted. I want to read you from the very lips of the prophet of God that we know as Jeremiah. So hang on to your seat. This is found in Jeremiah chapter 15, verses 15 through 18. You know where I am, God. Remember what I'm doing here? Take my side against my detractors and don't stand back while they ruin me. Just look at the abuse that I'm taking. I know you never said that. When your words showed up, I ate them, I swallowed them whole. What a feast, what a delight I took being yours, oh God, God of the angel armies. I've never joined the party, crowd in their laughter and their fun, led by you. I went all by myself. You filled me with indignation. Their sin had me seething. But why? Why this chronic pain, this every worsening wound, and no healing inside? Now hang on to your seat, ladies and gentlemen. You're nothing, God. You're nothing but a mirage. A lovely oasis in the distance, and then nothing. You know what's funny about this? Ain't nothing funny about it. And I don't recommend it. God let him vent. God let him vent without starting the barbecue, and he's on the menu. Here's the great man of God that God called, he anointed, he filled him with, and he admits it. He said, I have not run around with a party crowd. I don't hang around anybody named Dvork. I've done everything right and proper. I, 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 don't, I, I do everything right, and I loved your word. I, I, I know your touch, but now I'm at a point where here's the deal, God, truly, I think you're just a mirage. I thought I saw something as an oasis in the future, by the time I got there, it was gone. Sounds like us, don't it? Let me back that up. Sounds like me. 
in times when I really think it's God and I get there and it's not God, I think, and I, and God, you promised this and you promised me long life and you promised me this, but I had to attend that at funeral. I had to go through that divorce court and I had to do that and I had to do that and I had to file bankruptcy. And you know, God, I'm at a point now then that I've been through so much. I don't know if you're even real. Now, if you choose to say that, please let me leave the building, please. But he says it. And God let him vent. You know why God let him vent? Because God understands what we go through. God's not stupid. And God knew from the very beginning what man is and what he's made of. And God knows for a fact that Jeremiah would just give himself wide open for 30-something years till finally nothing's changing, nobody's repenting, nobody's contributing to his ministry, nobody will hang around him. He doesn't have a wife. He doesn't have children. He has nobody and everything's still now then. The city of Ananoth, he's thrown in prison. He's been beaten. He's been whipped. He's thrown in prison. And he finally gets to the place where he said, God, I just think it's all my imagination. Wow. And that's where he's at. Every one of us, we often too we feel pains of rejection, uh, depression, disappointments, emptiness. It's all part of a spiritual growth. I want to say that again to you today. Turn TV preachers off at 3 a.m. They're not going to do you any good. If they're not going to teach you about repentance and reconciliation, to restore your fellowship back with God. God is doing everything in his power to present a holy church. The spirit of conviction by the Holy Spirit, that's what he's called to do, is to convict us of sin. That's the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit in our lives to move out and root out and drive out anything that is not pleasing to God. And you can turn a deaf ear. We as this nation, like Moab, we can say, I've never been happier. I've never been richer. I've never been more healthier than in all the world. You can be like Moab, but the problem is, is that I'm asking you an honest question this morning. Is Jesus Lord of your life this morning in every area? That's what he's after, folks. He's not after talent. He's not after anything else except a people that will hum themselves and honor God, not only with our mouth, but with our lifestyle as well. So God lets him bend. And here's God's response. We'll keep reading two verses, Jeremiah 15, 19, and 20. And watch what God says. Now you take those words back. You know, I was waiting for a big old slap out of heaven. You know, that's what I was waiting on. And God slapped him into the next century, you know? You know what I like about God above other things? He, he, he's a good father. And do we not, as human beings, we say things that we probably shouldn't say at the moment when we're hurting or discouraged? 
So sometimes you respond to God wrong. I got one meek amen. Thank you for the meek amen. Sometimes when things do not go right, we, <clears throat> we respond to God wrong. And so instead of God just slapping you into tomorrow, you know what he says? Now take those words back. Take them back. God said, this is how God answered me. Take those words back and I'll take you back. Then you'll stand tall before me. Use words truly and well. Don't stoop to cheap whining. Then and only then you'll speak for me and let your words, what's this, change them. Don't change your words to suit them. I'm going to tell you right now, have you ever witnessed someone and they didn't respond? And maybe they respond in the right way, in the wrong way. You know what he's saying? He said, don't whine about it. Don't whine to me. Use your words to change them, but never use your words to suit their lifestyle. Let truth be truth. And if it is truth, it will withstand any scrutiny that will come your way. The Word of God is true. And do not take the Word of God to suit another's lifestyle that's in opposition to God. Let God's Word be used to help convince and convict another lifestyle to bring them back to the Word of God. Yeah. So then he said, but then and only then you'll speak for me and I'll turn you into a steel wall, a thick steel wall, impregnable. And they'll attack you, but they won't put it in in you because I am at your side, defending and delivering God's decree. So God is telling Jeremiah, he said, listen, I understand you're hurting. I understand you're angry. I understand a lot of things, but here's the deal. I heard your negative confession. I know that you think, and deep down we say things and we don't mean it. But God said, take those words back. Repent. And Jeremiah said, I repent. I'm sorry. And God said, what I'm going to do to you is I'm going to cause you to be a steel wall that no matter what you face, won't even put a dent into you. Jeremiah, unfortunately, was given the task of giving an unwanted and an unpopular and an unaccepted message called repentance. And they did not hear it. They did not heed to it. And they did not accept it. And, it. and it took a toll on his mental, physical, and emotional well-being. But what did God do? He kept pouring him from vessel to vessel. Now, the reason why this is so important, because I don't have time to give you a visual aid of this, but I wish I did. In the wine business, they're called dregs or lees. And so often they would rotate the wine this is why the Bible used the word bitter cup. Jesus said, let this bitter cup, not just cup, but bitter cup, be passed from me. Bitter cup. It means the dregs. It means all the liquid is almost gone out of the bottom of the barrel. And the only thing left is the pulp and the husk and the stems and the seeds, and it becomes bitter. It's the last part of the keg. And it's so bitter, you can't stand it. And Jesus said, and all of my options, this is the very last thing 
that I want to do is drink from this bitter cup. But he drank it anyway. See, being poured from vessel to vessel, what you have is that you have this container that's filled with all kinds of stems and seeds and pulp and dregs and leaves. And what they would do, they would pour it into another container. And while they're pouring it into another container, even though a little bit would go into there, but they would stop it and they would leave the bitter part in here. And even though now then we have another container, after a period of time, things would begin to settle and he would pour it into another container. And every time you poured it into another container, you'd always leave stuff in the bottom. And after about four or five pourings, what you have is a perfect, sweet juice of the grape. And vessel by vessel, it leaves behind bitterness, dregs, lees. Jeremiah was complaining because he had to go through something. But here's the idea as we close this morning. Every time that you go through something, it leaves something behind. And God takes you to the next vessel and it leaves something behind. And God kept on pouring him out from one circumstance to another because God wants you to be better, not bitter. And you know what? Moab, he never was poured out. His scent remained and his taste remained. It was bitter. So the next time you complain and ask God, why are you going through things? And he said, because there's so much stuff in you that's poisonous and bitter and dregs and all this stuff. He said, I'm pouring you from one circumstance to the other. I'm taking you from that situation to this situation. And you screamed and hollered. <laughs> and I poured you into that situation, into this situation. But every time I pour you, I always leave behind the bottom and the dregs and the pulp because it will bitter the spirit that's in you. Now, I'm not here to tell you this morning that we're a perfect product because we're not. Sherry Dvorak is closed, but the rest of us, we need work on. But the end result is this. I don't want to be like Moab and get everything my way and nothing comes my way and everything goes my way and my life remains bitter and unchanged. I want God to pour me from vessel to vessel in order to leave behind the dregs and the leaves and the bitterness that I could be nothing but a pure aroma of the reality of a living God in my life. And it's like the old farmer's commercial. I know a few things because I've been through a few things. Anybody here besides me ever been through something? Thank you. And when God got ready to take you through that, you know what? You look in the rearview mirror and you go, you know what? I didn't like it at the time, but my goodness, I didn't know I had so much stuff left in me. I had hate and rage and anger. I had all this stuff and all this debris. I wasn't even aware of it until God started pouring me out. It's a process. What's this? A vessel, a vessel. And here's the deal. You're asking God for you not to go anything. 
through anything, and I'm asking God for him to run you through the mill. Because some of you, you're a lot sweeter now than you was when I first met you. From vessel to vessel. And every time, it leaves behind debris. You know, it's, it's crazy. I mean, if you're visiting here this morning, I mean, don't get the idea I'm, I'm some nice guy because I'm really not. I mean, I mean, it's all right. But that's why God constantly takes me through things. And it's not, I mean, I mean, and I don't, I don't know if it's because people just dump stuff in my life. You know, when I get cleaned up, here comes along with somebody with a dump truck here. Back it up right here. We'll dump it on him. What am I supposed to do? But as God takes you from one vessel to the other, from one trial to another, this morning you may say like Jeremiah, I don't know if God's real or not. I thought he was. I felt him. I gave my heart to him. But I reached a point in my life, I don't know, I think he's just a mirage. Here's the good news. He's not. He's real. He loves you. You're just going through a process. Let him take you through the process. You're not always right. So let God run you through the sieve and the strainer to remove out anything that will keep bitterness in your life. And that's what he's doing. Father, this morning, I just appreciate you giving us the opportunity to take a look at Jeremiah's dirty laundry, hanging out for the whole world to see as it dries. I'm thankful this morning that you're not pulling down a big screen out of heaven and letting everybody see the conversations that I've had with you during certain times of my life. But I'm glad you're God. And I'm glad you know us. And you know we love you. And you know that you put us right in, in the middle of a hostile environment of wickedness and sin and darkness. You yourself placed us right in the center of a cesspool of iniquity where men are lovers of themselves more than lovers to God. And you know we get tired and you know we get discouraged and you're well aware that we get weary, but you understand. And I'm going to tell you firsthand, thank you, you. I'm going to thank you for letting me vent every once in a while without smacking me. But here's the truth this morning, Father, that we've learned. You've taken us from one vessel to another. And every time we go through something, we're leaving behind segments and seeds of bitterness and pulp and dregs in the last container. 
And I am confident of this one thing, that he that began a good work in me will continue that work until Christ comes. So for every valley and for every trial and every circumstance that we are going through and we will go through, thank you. Because more than anything, I don't want people to hear or see me. I want them to hear and see Jesus. For everyone that's hurting this morning and for everyone that's physically and financially and emotionally hurting this morning, our prayers are with you. And for whatever you're being poured from one to the next, it's okay. The process will make you a better person, more like Christ. Just stay the course. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. If you believe that with me, stand and give the Lord a praise offering today, huh? <clears throat> he is worthy this morning. Turn about three people and say, listen, I'm really glad you're a part of my life. You're, you're a big help to me. You're a big comfort to me. Thank you. <laughs> Communion service, if you'll make your way this way, please. From vessel to vessel, he said. That night, Jesus said with his disciples, the 12, and he took the bread and he lifted up. And he said, for 1,500 years, you've been celebrating the covenant, this ordinance of the unleavened bread. But he said, I am the bread of life that's been sent from my Father from heaven. And if any man eat of me, he'll never hunger again. And then he took the cup which was the third cup that night, and he lifted up and he said, for 1,500 years you've been celebrating <clears throat> the ordinance of the blood of the Lamb that was taken and placed in the shape of a cross upon the doorpost of their home. And when the death angel came, that it would pass over those whose home was covered by the blood. Jesus said, I am the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world and my Father will take my blood and he will place it in the shape of a cross and in that there will be forgiveness of sins. So once again, as we do every Sunday morning, we celebrate Holy Communion and Jesus said, as often as you eat this bread and drink of this cup, it will remind you of me so, Father, if we're being poured from vessel to vessel, let the pouring begin. Let the sifting continue in order for it to leave behind pieces and parts of our fleshly nature and our fleshly mind in order for us to be more like your son, Jesus, who endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. In Jesus' name, amen.